All right, we've got John on the line now. John Shannon, co-host of the Bob McCowan podcast, also longtime executive in, in sports broadcasting, hockey broadcasting. Hey, John, thanks for taking the time to join us again. How are you doing? Good, boys. How are you? We're, good. we're doing well. We were um, we were just chatting about the the interview with Strombo this week, John, and uh, you know, as I was just saying, you know, that his his time at uh, at Sportsnet was during my time there. And um, I thought he provided a lot of insights. I'm, I'm curious to know what your biggest takeaway from the interview was, you know, because you were there as well. I'm just wondering, you know, what was, what was the most surprising thing or, or the thing you learned from George in the, in the interview? Um, I, you know, Alex, I'm not sure I learned anything other than, uh, you, you know, I, I think what needed to be explored was the fact that, uh, George was not a meek, mild guy. You know, he comes across on the air as intelligent and easygoing. Uh, But I think you got a sense in in our interview of how um, intense he can be and how stubborn he can be. And and I I think that 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 probably was the thing that struck me the most. In the end, why did the Strombo decision fail at Hockey Night in Canada, John, in your mind? I don't think anybody was committed to it enough. I don't think that George was committed to it enough. Uh, you know, George tried to do, you know, being the host of Hockey Night in Canada is a full-time job, even though it's only one day a week during the regular season. And I think there were times where George was... Monday to Thursday, doing other things. And I I, I think you need to immerse yourself completely into the game. On a Tuesday night, you need to be watching. You need to be aware of what's going on. You need to be understanding what is news in hockey. I also think that uh, I I also think that the, the people at Rogers thought that they could just plug a new body in and then expected George to play by the same rules that everybody else played by. And that's just not the case. That shouldn't have been the case. And so I, I think, I think it came across half baked, half baked by Rogers and half baked by George. John, for a long time in your career, you were a big part of putting together broadcasts, the building, uh, building the packaging and the programming and, and uh, you know, putting forth that, that product to you. What's the, still the key or what remains the core for putting together you know an, an overall hockey production like what's the most important thing to convey to the audience well i you know i i think and this, this is actually where george and i still agree a great deal is I, I i think we've missed the boat guys on what makes good television and what makes good television is talking about people and introducing them, the, the viewers, to uh, the players. We have uh, swapped that out for over-analysis. We've swapped it out for, you know, gimmicks, X's and O's, uh, gap control, fancy words active sticks. I, I always maintain 
last Saturday night across this country, 2.3 million Canadians watched hockey. Not every one of those people actually play the game. Not actually every one of those people. In fact, I would tell you that less than 600,000 Canadians are registered hockey players. So the other 1.7 million are watching the game for enjoyment, not for analysis. And I think we've missed the boat on telling stories about what makes players tick. What makes Brock Besser a good person and a great shooter? What is Johnny Goudreau? Where, where, what's his background that has really made him a player? You know, the, you know, one of the great fascinations of, of hockey is there's always lineage. Um, Johnny's dad learned the game by going to the Howie Meeker Hockey School in Potsdam, New York. So now we've got a link between Howie Meeker, who just passed away, who was a broadcaster and a, a coach and a teacher for all those many years, and one of the best goal scorers in the game today, Johnny Goodrow. I don't think we tell those types of stories enough anymore. Co-host of the Bob McCallum podcast, John Shannon, joining us here on air. Um, taking that thought, John, and shifting it to the news of the NHL this week, um, the NHL announced that they have a new seven-year broadcast partnership with ESPN. Um, with everything you just laid out about sort of the objective of, of conveying good television, um, was this a win for the NHL to get back on ESPN and to do so for seven years? I think it was a win. I think it was, I think it was important. Um, you, you know, it, not necessarily as much about the money or the games, Alex, uh, but just as much, just as important for the uh, for the access that it will have to Sports Center and the ability for people who aren't necessarily hockey fans to watch hockey highlights and to watch hockey features on non-hockey, non-hockey programming. You know, if you go into any sports bar, you go into any place where there are televisions and sports on, 95% of the time it's still ESPN in the United States. So from that perspective, if it can be hockey on those ESPN channels, then that's a win. Curious if you saw the Stephen A. Smith uh, sort of video that went a little viral earlier this week. I know one of the things that I've changed my mind on in the last six years is the idea that there can be content out there from a product I like that isn't necessarily aimed at me or that I don't necessarily interact with. I used to think that that was not great, but I realize now that there's content for everyone and not everything's aimed at me. Um, I'm just curious when you, when you talk about ESPN and you talk about the culture south of the border, do you look at that and the ability that ESPN maybe has to expand the reach of the NHL um, as gimmicky as, you know, maybe a Stephen A. Smith video may come across to a traditional hockey viewer? By the way, I love Stephen A. Smith. I think he's a brilliant broadcaster a brilliant communicator. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with him. You know, the, the, the biggest issue, the biggest challenge that we have in any sport, and particularly hockey, is how do you, how do you compromise enough 
to entertain the 50-year-old man and woman who have been watching hockey for a long time and the 18-year-old who's just being introduced to the game. Uh, viewing habits are so vastly different now. Uh, you know, I'm not sure there are many people under the age of 25 that actually sit down and watch a whole game. So that's a challenge. Uh, that's why the Disney contract and the Disney uh, situation is going to be a really important one for the NHL as it learns how to communicate with a different audience. When you look at those factors, John, um, we've seen some evolutions of the standard game broadcast, but by and large for the last 20 years now that pretty much every game is on television, which is, I'm, I'm a young guy, so for me, it's still hard to believe that there was a time where most games weren't on television, were radio exclusive. Now it's, I mean, with the exception of a, of a handful of baseball games, I think every sport in North America at the major level, NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball are on television. Uh, but we have not seen a huge evolution in terms of the broadcast. Would it be in the NHL's best interest, especially with a partnership with Disney, to explore some creative ways to do what we would consider the standard game broadcast? And how do you do that without insulting your hardcore viewer? Right. That's the million-dollar question, right? That is, that is, the, that is the question. Um, now, the great thing is that Disney has enough channels that perhaps there's an opportunity, just as we saw with the NFL and what Nickelodeon did with uh, a couple of football games, mm-hmm. uh, to, to change coverage and style in order to attract a different viewership. Uh, but, that com- but here's the thing. That comes with a huge bill attached to it. That comes with a... Uh, with, with, with so much cost, is it worth it? The NFL is different than what, what hockey is, uh, and and the buying public, the buying public, still is people over thirty, uh, more traditional, and that becomes the real challenge: is how you do it. You know, I, I do think that there are some simple things that we should be doing with the game on television. I think we should be getting lower. I think we should be getting closer, but that becomes a compromise to the number one revenue stream for every hockey team, and that's people in seats. You know, mm-hmm. the one thing the NHL needs to do is try to figure out how do you improve camera positions without compromising the revenue streams of all those season seat holders. I remember a camera position at the uh, what's now Scotiabank, what was the then the ACC, that was sort of at center ice, right at where one of the tunnels came out, sort of halfway down yep, the lower yep. bowl. And I thought it was yep. a great angle, and I you know I assume it's along those lines that it got taken away. But I I, I mean I specifically remember I think it was Matt Sundin's 500, the the overtime winner against Calgary. That you know that camera angle was beautiful. You know. Well, you know, you know, Alex. <laughs> I'm going to date myself. That camera position, we, we put it in when we built the camera positions for that building, was a replica of what existed in Maple Leaf Gardens from 1952. 
and the Montreal Forum from 1953. That wasn't anything new. That just and and here's what happened. And, you know, here when I left Hockey Night in Canada, there was nobody that followed me that was prepared to fight for it, and it disappeared. So and and that be you know you have to there has to be a passion for this sport on television. There has to be a belief that that this is really important as opposed to just another television show for things to improve. And uh, I don't know if we see that anymore. Mm -hmm. Really quickly. So the NHL gets 420 million us, which I think is, you know, rightly should be pointed out as you mentioned to me. Um, But there's still a chunk of the package to go and they're negotiating uh, with NBC and potentially another broadcaster. Um, What number does the NHL need to collectively hit for this to be a success in the owner's minds? I think they need to probably get to 650 million U.S. overall. I think that that's the big number. Uh, that would be so, basically double what they are what they paid in, in previous years or got paid in previous years. And if you were able to if you were able to double your rights fees, improve your exposure, create opportunities for access to non-hockey markets and 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 still put an extra you know 300 million dollars in your pocket i think you're doing okay we'll get you out of here on this john uh is daryl sutter going to fix the calgary flames (laughs) well let me put it this way if anybody can daryl's the man you know I, i as i said uh on the podcast uh, last week when Daryl got the job, to me, uh, he comes in with such a great reputation uh, that it, uh, it's, it's something that, uh, that would uh, scare the, the wits out of a few players even before he walks in the room. He's kind of like The Undertaker walking down the ramp at a WWE event. You know, just, uh, but, but, you know, he has a, diff- a simple system, a north-south system, accountability, and creativity, and and I I, I think Daryl Daryl has always been a good coach, and I think Daryl doesn't get credit for changing uh, with the times, and I think he's he's tried to change with the times. Uh, he wanted to change with the times in that last year and a half in L.A., and they wouldn't let him uh, because of the contracts that were in place. Uh, so I, I think there's a very good chance that the Calgary Flames will be a much different team in a few weeks uh, when Daryl's had some time with them. Last one from me, John. Um, Most people out here on the Vancouver sort of West Coast, the lower mainland throughout BC, are trying to make sense of what's going on with the Canucks, the direction they're headed, um, sort of the financial situation. Uh, Curious to know from your perspective, if if you could ask two questions to any members of the Canucks organization, what would you want to know if they had to answer truthfully? I'd like to know why Travis Green doesn't have a new deal right now. Because uh, I think if Travis Green doesn't have a new deal in Vancouver this summer, he's going to have a new deal somewhere else, and be, and it'll be one of those ones that the team really regrets. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I I think that you have to wonder, on a similar nature, uh, you know, when when do those discussions with with 
with Pedersen's start and yep. finish and how does the cap, how 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 does the captain get influenced by the amount of money they're going to have to pay him you know cuz the question becomes is are, do you want him on a bridge which they would love to have him on a bridge mm-hmm. or do you want to put him on an 8 year deal I don't know if they can afford him on an 8 year deal with the way they've managed their cap to this point well yeah, I, I think that that I think that's part of, that's part of the challenge too. But you know, <laughs> the, my my biggest issue my biggest issue with the Canucks, and I know you got to go with it. And I'm I'm a I'm actually a Jim Benning fan. I think Jim's I think Jim's got some great talents. But uh, I think the biggest issue for me there was I think they spent too much time last summer thinking they were getting it, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, and they right. didn't, and it's come back to bite them. Yeah, oh, it, it it sure has. The season has not gone the way uh, many expected, I guess, uh, especially on the high end. Anyway, John, really appreciate your insights, and uh, thanks for taking the time today. Have a great day, boys.